This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I really do appreciate giving up a bit of time. I think you're really going to enjoy this because uh, we got a great guest today. I've done a podcast with him before. I've been on his radio show multiple times, but Jimmy Falia uh, here at Fox News, he's got a new show, uh, Fox News Saturday Night with Jimmy Falia. It comes it's uh, 10 p.m. Eastern, and uh, congratulations to Jimmy for scoring this big show that's coming up. I think everybody, he's just a naturally funny guy, super nice guy, and a great dad. I mean, he, he's just a good family guy. And uh, it's one of the joys of getting to to know him here as part of the Fox family. But we're going to highlight the news. We're going to oh, highlight the stupid because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then, of course, we're going to sit down with Jimmy and uh, just chat about life and the world. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it because he's just a fun, engaging personality. But let's start with a few things in the news. And uh, I want to kick things off now that, uh, you know, the Iowa caucus is in their rearview mirror and Congress is back at it. You started to see uh, the contention that is still in the United States Congress. Now, let's remember, Democrats have the White House. Democrats have the Senate. Um, where you can't get anything done unless you have 60 votes. And then you have a very small, less than five-seat majority in a 430-something, I can't remember the exact count now. supposed to be 435, but I don't think it's fully populated there. Very tough for the Republicans to get anything done. Now, that doesn't mean you give up on your principles. doesn't mean you give up on your... Uh, what you believe on uh, doesn't mean, oh, hey, I can't fight. But it also means that you're probably not going to get everything that you want. Right. So the big question is how to fund the government. Now, I served in Congress for eight and a half years. Um, the entire time I was there, never once, not even once, did we go through what's called regular order where we actually went and funded the government where you're supposed to. There's a budget then an appropriations bill. You vote on it. You can amend it. And then it passes through the body, goes to the Senate. If you disagree, you go to conference and then you eventually get a product that then goes to the president's desk for veto or not veto. That's how it's supposed to work. Never works. Since the 1976 Budget Act, you've heard me talk about this 70, uh, 1972 Budget Act. Uh, it's like one time throughout that history has it ever happened that it's gone through regular order, start to finish the way it's supposed to. And guess what? That's the one time Newt Gingrich is the speaker, uh, Bill Clinton is, is president. That's the one time where the budget actually balanced. Oh my goodness, they're actually living within a reasonable budget. But that's not where we are today. So, the proposal is now move the continuing resolution till March to give more time. Now, I am very sympathetic to Speaker Johnson and what he's trying to go through because you can't please everybody and get to a majority within your own party. It's just really difficult to do. But in order to buy some time to actually try to go through the regular order on some of the appropriations bills that haven't passed, I can see where there needs to be a short-term CR. 
That's just my take on it. But that that is the big news. That's a thing that affects everybody. But let's also understand that we're talking about less than 10% of the overall budget. So when there's all these scare tactics from the left about, oh, you're going to shut down this and you're going to throw grandma and nobody's going to... More than 75% is mandatory programmatic spending that just happens no matter what Congress does. And then you add on top of that the payments that are paid on the debt, where we're paying more than a billion dollars a day in interest on the national debt. Then you start to see that we're actually talking about really right about 10% of quote-unquote discretionary budget. That's the reality of what's working. So the world's not going to fall apart if the government does shut down. Not saying that you're advocating for shutting down, but that's generally where we're at. And that is the big concern. It's the big issue. Yes, we got to figure out what to do with the border. Um, Why not just maybe enforce the current law? Uh, Mr. President, all the Democrats, everybody out there that says, hey, you know, we have to pass this. No, we don't. In order to secure the border, you don't need to pass a new piece of legislation. Enforce the current law. Talk to the Border Patrol. Talk to Brandon Judd, the head of the Border Patrol Council. Guess what? The only thing you need to do is enforce the current law. doesn't even require more money. It requires the political will. But the president, Kamala Harris, they don't have any desire to do that. They changed it. They're not enforcing the law. That's why we have millions of people here. It's why you have rents increasing. You know that the stress on the housing market is huge. Not only because of interest rates being so high, but because there's so many renters now, because there are millions of people that came here illegally and they need somewhere to live. So you got a whole lot more competition, a lot more demand, and yet supply is still where it used to be. Guess what? The consequence is it costs more. So again, but this was on purpose. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, this didn't just happen. It happened on purpose. And that's what's so crazy about the position that they're taking. So yeah, we got to deal with that. We got to figure out what's going on with um, our hostages in the Middle East, because Hamas is still holding hostages. We can't forget about those people. These are Americans that are incarcerated or held captive outside their will. We have to deal with that. We think the biggest, scariest thing, though, that faces the world is Iran with a nuclear weapon. That is my biggest fear. That We can talk about China. We can talk about all these things, but Iran with a nuclear weapon... And uh, their funding of terrorism, their willingness to use this bomb, that is probably the scariest, and it's right on the horizon. It's why I think it's going to be the driving force in the election. It's going to be about safety. Safety in your wallet, safety on the border, safety in your neighborhood, safety in in the streets, safety overseas. Uh, I think the theme of the campaign is going to be all about safety. All right. Well, let's not get too heavy. We've got Jimmy Failure coming on. We want to talk and have some fun. But I do have to mention something stupid because, you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. So you got to look uh, at Georgia. Uh, the Georgia DA, the district attorney, Fannie Willis, she ha- evidently has this inappropriate relationship um, with this accusation that there's more than $600,000 that has been given to a person she happens to be having a romantic relationship with. It just so happens that this person got this contract or got this relationship or gig with Fannie Willis's district attorney office and to help prosecute. And guess what? He has no experience. Never prosecuted a felony case. And somehow he's awarded more than $600,000. Oh, and they're having a relationship? I mean... 
it's so incestuous. It's so weird. It's so bizarre. It's so um, inappropriate, ethically uh, charged um, and, and, and suspicious. They're allegations, but I did hear Fannie Willis talking from the pulpit on Sunday making this allegation that, oh, the only reason this is happening is because she's a black woman. (laughs) It has nothing to do with your skin color. We just got done celebrating and highlighting Martin Luther King's birthday. It's not racism. It's not because of the color of your skin or your gender. It's the idea that you would have somebody making hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars without the proper experience to do what they're supposed to do, and you happen to be shacking up with this person? I mean, that's the allegation. Maybe it's not true, but didn't add any clarity to it by coming out and saying, well, it's just because I'm a black woman that they're bringing this up. No, it has to do with all those other things. Those things that, you know, many of us call facts. And if they're true, yeah, she's got a lot to account for. All right. Let's bring on Jimmy because he's just a great guy. Got a new show. I'm sure we're going to talk about that. Saturday night, 10 p.m., Fox News Saturday night with Jimmy Failure. Let's sit down with Jimmy. So this is the Jason in the House podcast, but not, none other than Jimmy Failure is in the house. Thank you for joining. It's a big deal. Um, it is a big deal. It's I, in my contract that I get three A-listers per month. No, and I'm, I know, and they weren't available. So, uh, Hemmers in <laughs> Iowa. They're all in Iowa. in Iowa. Yeah, no, they're not here. Uh, but it's good to see you, Chaffetz. I'm trying to get emotional, not not to get emotional. This is obviously a big deal for well, me. Well, you did last time. You know, I've had John before, and it, it got really, we had to go hit the pause button a few times. <laughs> it's not, it's actually not true. The one thing I'm good at as a comic is, you know, when I'm doing live radio, and it's me for three hours. You would think like, oh, this guy's going to have a mess on his hands. But the thing about being live is there's no margin for error. You can't get it wrong. And everything I do in media, Jason, I, I'm still seen burnt into my retina, a taxi meter flashing a price on it. <laughs> so every time I'm in like a life or death scenario, I'm fine because I can see the meter flashing at me. It's but, my guests that I worry about. You know, in politics, you always want to have the expectations so low mm-hmm. that you exceed them. And yes. you do that exceptionally well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think on site, I've lowered expectations. <laughs> people, the thing about me when I'm, when I'm here is people can't tell if I'm Fox talent or I'm selling drugs to Fox talent? And the obvious answer is both. But the point is, it keeps the bar where I need it intellectually. No, I, I, I'm really excited for you. Now, this is a brilliant stroke of genius to actually name the show. I'm sure all the gurus here at Fox sat around the table and said, oh, it's Saturday night, Fox News, Jimmy Fallon. What, how are we going to you use our boggle skills and mix it up so that we get the name just right. <laughs> so a lot of focus group went into this. A lot of focus groups. By, by focus, I t- they took uh, our logo, they took my name, and they took a dart. <laughs> they <laughs> Who's lit- going first, second, third? But s- Saturday nights, right? 10 p.m. Eastern? Yep. Fox News Saturday Night with Jimmy Fallon airs 10 p.m. Eastern uh, every Saturday night. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm as excited as you'd expect someone in my position to be. But the way I got here, really interesting, is I have always been on the wrong end of supply and demand in showbiz, as everyone is. You know, everyone is in one way or another on the wrong end of supply and demand uh, because there's only so many of these gigs. They're finite, but there's billions of people who want to do them. Now, the truth is I got into comedy really late. 
Okay, I got I didn't start doing stand up till I was like in my like twenty seven or twenty eight years old. But you were doing this in high school, right? Well, what I mean, think? yeah, in high school I won five class favorites. Like I was popular in high school, socially popular. So that's an interesting caveat to this: is whatever conversational, intellectual, comedic acumen I possess, I've had since I was five. Right. So you're not actually watching like an ascended star. You're watching a child prodigy go backwards right now. <laughs> I just happen to be doing it on bigger media platforms than I had when I was five or 15 or 20. But the point is my business model in getting from like broke cab driver doing open mic comedy to here is if you really just do the hell out of your job, there'll be a market for a better job. You know what I'm saying? Right. So... It's been so incremental in terms of the 371 showbiz jobs I've probably worked between starting and hosting my own show right. that it doesn't look like as big of a leap, you know, from last week to this week. Like, to me, it doesn't feel like as big of a leap. To the world, they realize how much nothing I was accomplishing. <laughs> but I had always sold myself on the idea it was going well. That's how you get here. Well, now you got billboards in Times Square, for goodness sake. Which is crazy, because every bookie knows where I am now. It's yeah. not good. It's not good. <laughs> but it's crazy. Like So the other night, I was walking through Times Square. Uh, it was Wednesday night. And just in a straight walk through Times Square, you get the moment where people see the billboard, see you and do the double take. And you can tell that's what they're doing. And I said to this guy in the street where I'm like, dude, this is so much more uh, awkward for me than it is for you. I'm like, I know you're freaked out because the billboard guy is here. I'm like, try being the billboard guy for a second. I'm freaked out by everybody. No, it's really cool. I'm really, well, really happy. Tell me about the show. How is it different than, say, America's Newsroom? Well, I mean, obviously, we're not going to have as much comedy as Newsroom. You know, you, right, I'm right. kidding. Now, Fox Across America, uh, which is my radio show, has basically now been filmed. And what I mean by that is we are on the radio doing something like I call it a cable news keg party, meaning we have to hit the other stories. We're going to hit some of the things America's Newsroom is going to hit, but we're not going to hit the Iowa caucuses from who's going to win and what's their position on gun control. We're going to hit them from the standpoint of who would you like to have as a wingman in a bar? DeSantis, Trump, Vivek, you know what I mean? That kind what, of an what angle. What is that answer, by the way? Uh, if, if you were to tell me, based on the current Republican field, who the best wingman in a bar would be, it's actually probably Vivek. I would give you that because he's got his probably the most conversational acumen. But wouldn't you want like a woman to be singing your praises? Like oh, Nikki love, Haley? Yeah, we, we no, love no, that uh, for general For general consumption, yes. But I have so much game that I'm just telling you based <laughs> who do I think is an outgoing buffoon? Because what you need is a lead blocker in a bar. A wingman is the guy who's willing to, you know, rhino charge into a group of girls and strike up a conversation <laughs> with no regard for how it affects him. Rhino you want charge. Vivek. You don't want Trump because he's going to walk over and start raiding the women. <laughs> You're a four on your wedding day. Now I got a problem on my hands before I can hit on these women because I'm the guy who probably likes the four. And now I've got a build her back up you know that doesn't help a guy like me you know DeSantis is probably too factual you would think Nikki would be good but this is the one thing I give Nikki heat for because she comes on my show and talks smack about my clothes yes like Nikki uh, over the weekend she was on our channel she had on like the sweater with the turtleneck yes she looks like someone who would be slurring her speech at a church bake sale <laughs> and I don't know that that's going to win you over the group of girls like, like who's this lady shaking me down to buy a pie at St. Bernard's. So I think I want Vivek because there's a buffoonish quality to him that he embraces that I think you need. Yeah, and he wouldn't be bashful, would he? No, he no. would go in there and just start. Saying, He's going to talk to him. He might not have a shirt on.
which again <laughs> makes you look better by comparison. Right. Your wingman's job, okay, is not to be good at anything. It's to start the conversation. Like to give an example, if you were uh, in the cops and you were doing buy and busts, you're raiding a drug den. My brother Joey used to do this. He was in narcotics. <laughs> buy and busts. That means we're battery ramming down a door on a bunch of drug dealers who are armed and counting money or cooking drugs. The guy who's battering down that door <laughs> is not your technician. That's not the skills team. That's the guy. We just need a guy who can get the door down. And that's what Vivek does. Probably getting shot first. I got to be honest with you. But you know what? In the bar game, you need a guy who's going to take that little log and battery ram the door. And that's Vivek. So the Saturday night show, this is what you're going to this be This is the kind of heavy-handed analysis you'd expect from us. Yes. Okay. So and what I mean, do you get into serious politics or no? Not? Or do you take somebody like a Dana Perino, right? Mm-hmm. And then... What would she be at? Perino doesn't off the meter. So that's what we did. We had Dana on this past Saturday, and uh, we interview her on everything but what she's doing for a living. And the reason we're doing that is if we're going to have newsmakers on, like significant people, okay, you want to, in that unique environment, give the viewer a sense for the person behind the politics. Right. So let me give you an example. The best late night interview done in probably the last 10 years was the one that got the host in the most trouble for doing it. It was Jimmy Fallon when he had Trump on. Because he was famously uh, mussing Trump's hair. Hey, can we mess up your hair? There's such a right, hullabaloo right. on your hair. And he actually gave you a 10-minute window into how Trump rolls socially. There were jokes about Flavor Flav and him making comments about how hot his daughter is and making fun of his hair and gave us a sense for the person. But because it was so fashionable, there was like this manufactured hysteria around Trump, that interview, which was a textbook great interview, actually almost got Fallon fired. Because they were like, you've normalized this man. But the truth is, if I have a politician on my show, okay, if I had AOC on, who Fox viewers hate, I'm not actually going to confront her about killing Amazon jobs, which she did and should be held accountable for. I'm going to give you five minutes into, like, what is this person? Because that's what talk shows are uniquely positioned to do in a way that news shows can't because news shows have to be substantive. So I'm trying to capture that other thing. So maybe within this divisive era of politics we're living through, people actually see comedy and see the world through the prism of comedy that tells us we are in a roundabout way. Maybe we're not all in this together, but we're all in it for the same things together. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, it's just the political wokeness that pushed these late night comedians oh, off. I mean, it's kind of gotten rid of comedy because there, there was no balance to it. It seemed like they, were, they had they, they had these limits on, oh, if you're going to criticize a Democrat, then we just can't even go there. Well, that's like, I mean, for me, when it was, you know, Johnny Carson, who I thought was the best there's ever been, it was funny because he poked fun at both sides. Jay Leno would poke fun at both sides. And yep. he wouldn't linger. He wouldn't stay there forever. But he no, no. And he didn't feel like he was advocating for anybody. If somebody did something stupid, like fall down the stairs, he would talk about it. Think of a guy like Seth Meyers. So he does a segment that's called A Closer Look, which is a fancy thing for what did Trump do today. Right. And he'll devote like eight minutes of his show to a produced attack on Trump or a Republican. Right. And but it's always I that's Trump what I mean. Or, yeah. And this is the problem, okay? Comedy 
is a trap door. Jokes are trap doors. You need the victim to be standing over the door so they don't see it under their feet and they fall down the chute. Okay? If 98% of your monologue is Trump, you get a feel for where on the carpet the trap door is when they call you into the room and you start to deny them that sense of spontaneous discovery. So we're trying to be, and this is, you know, the one thing I was so thrilled with the launch of our show is we absolutely, it was funny and it was debauched and it was nuts. But the bigger thing is we really kept the campaign promise of doing a comedy show the way not not billing it as a comedy. So, I mean, you got somebody like a Dana Perino on there, but 90 percent of the show is not going to be a familiar face that you're used to seeing on. No, it's a lot of my white trash friends. Okay, this is the thing. Okay, I've made it in media. I'm on Times Square billboards, but I still hang out exclusively with dirtbags. Okay, because that's what I come from. So I'm not disparaging them. I think they'd be proud to be, you know, acknowledged as such. And uh, we're trying to bring the that human... is one of the distinguishing factors. Oh of yeah, these people, right? They yeah. they wear that badge. Oh, proudly. absolutely. And uh, you know. Garth Brooks saying he had friends in low places. I'm like, oh, I, I have not, nothing but I have friends, enemies, you know, exes, futures. It's all in low places. Garth was saying it as like, you know, he knows some of these people too. Right. I'm saying it as, no, no, that's all I know. That's I don't, where I, don't, I live. That that's, is- you can't call them low places. They're the only places, Garth. And that's the difference between me and everybody else. So you want people to laugh when you watch Yes, show, that's it. Right? Don't take yourself seriously. I'm looking at it as for real. Do you, have you ever heard of an Amish rum springer, which is when a kid turns 21 in the Amish community? I've never heard okay. of Okay. Well, in the Amish community. Yes. Okay. You know, you think of Jimmy Phil, you think Amish knowledge. This is a guy who knows a lot about Amish country. That's what you think when you hear my mook teamster accent. <laughs> you know, Chaffetz, we got this thing in a freaking Amish community. But the point is, in the <laughs> Amish community... Okay. Yeah. When a kid turns around 21, they give him the opportunity to leave the farm. And go try technology and live in the real world no, of vice. No, you're making this up. No, no, you Is look this it up. Legit? Amish rum springer. And I um, have no idea whether or not yes. to believe you. And no, it's true. And a high percentage, like I, when I say high, I mean high nineties percentage of the kids who leave the farm do come back, and you know reassimilate into the way of life. But they get a feel for what that outside world is. You dig? Huh. Scares them? You probably. Like? I think it's like criminal recidivism in the sense that a lot of guys go back to jail because it's a known quality, quantity to them. Um, I don't, again, I'm not disparaging the Amish in that regard. Not that it matters. They can't listen to this. They can't listen to this. <laughs> so there you go. But stick with me. Okay. I'm trying for one hour a week to give people a rum springer where the current farm was stuck on in our politics is divisive and it's confrontational and it's pugnacious. I'm giving them an hour a week where they can leave that farm and go try the fun stuff. Right. That's what we're trying to do. Well, good for you because I, what's really bothered me is I think people want to walk away from politics a little bit. You yeah, know, yeah. It, it doesn't need to be omnipresent. You know, mm-hmm. you go to a rock concert or you go to a, a watch you know, it's something on television. This is the problem where some of these other sports networks have like gone off the rails. Cause like, will you just quit it with the political stuff? There's no escapism. That's the biggest challenge yeah. is like everybody who's like a pro ball player or a singer that wants to help could actually help more by like marshalling their resources towards the communities they say they care about because just throwing a, uh, you know, a vague statement out there about like these people are evil or these people are bad. Right. That's been the business model in the social media era nothing's better because of it. There's nothing you can point to that has improved in our society in the last five years. But we are more divided now because the areas of common culture, sports, 
uh, obviously movies, to an extent music, used to be places where our political differences were put aside. You just listen to the song. You just watch the game. If the game's now going to begin with some type of social justice admonishment, like the NFL is like, they have end racism in the end zone. I'm like, the league is 84% black. I'm like, which is great. And we support it. And we love football. It's like our favorite thing anywhere. But I feel like you're the ultimate symbol of progress in society. And we're using it to sell us oppression. I feel like we should be doing that backwards. If anybody has a bone to pick with like racial discrimination, I think it's white guys in the NBA, no? It's a, but, but we're not we're not mad. I'm not asking for more white inclusion. I'm just asking for the best players, and I'm glad we you have know, them. I never thought about ending racism until I saw that in the end zone of the, of the you know, yeah, no, we, NFL we, team. We'd like, completely forgotten that one. Oh, no civil rights idea. movement. You know, it's good funny idea. you Let's say so. Yeah. Yeah, like that, that, was the, that was the... We're the fighting pitting. dumb battles. That's the point. And uh, I'm trying to bring us back to a world where... Because I don't think you can help politically by out arguing the other side of the aisle. I don't think we can argue liberals into being conservatives or vice versa. But I think if we could all just go be universally fun for a few hours a day, it might lower the temperature in a way that we get back to realizing what matters. Like that would be my goal is we don't know what matters. We fight the wrong battle. Summer of 2020, as you've heard this said a million times on TV, what we did in the summer of 2020 is we said America was systemically racist, which I don't believe, but the tangible deliverable of all of that progress, other than looting stores was what we canceled the Aunt Jemima. So the schools are failing, but your kids aren't eating racist pancakes anymore. Yeah, Orlando Lakes doesn't so, have yeah, any Indian on that. There's no Indian Orlando Lakes butter, so we're good here. <laughs> Uncle Ben's out of a job. Never mind that in all three of these, there were minority families getting royalties for the portrayal on the carton. They got screwed out of money in the name of some type of racial progress. I mean, it's dumb. So that's the point. I'm trying to get us to this place of perspective uh, and just have fun. I miss fun. So we're bringing back fun. So, Jimmy, uh, you know, did you ever think we were going to be arguing, though, about having men participate in women's sports? Which I support if I can bet on it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, let's go. No, it's bananas. But that's that's how transactionally stupid our politics have become now. It's like the fight for power now. To give you an example, in NASCAR. Okay, say you did Daytona 500. Right. You have to stay on the track to pass another car, okay? And the reason I point that out is like, say the cars are going around in a circle, okay? If you drive onto the apron, which is like out of bounds, you're kind of in pit row with two of your tires, you get around cars, pull back into the front, that's considered disqualifying. But in our current politics, you can drive onto the apron if it pulls you ahead of the next car. And what I mean by that is claiming with a straight face something we all know to be biologically false is now actually the truth. You're driving on the apron, are you not, if you're telling me men can have babies, okay? This phone call has never happened in the history of the world. Yeah, I'd love to go, but my cousin Tony's baby shower is Saturday. He's having twins, so we can't make the game. We all know that's not happening. So if I have to pretend it is, it's because someone's driving on the apron in an attempt to pass the other cars in the political race. We should agree that's a scam. That's the analogy I've never heard before. I know, but it's true. It's spot on. We're driving off track to get around the other cars and then be like, hey, I'm in the lead. Follow me. But you lied your way to the lead. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Jimmy Failure right after this. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Well, there's so many crazy things that are going on in the world. And, and the schools, you know, I think about how I grew up. I didn't have this phone that I'm holding in my hand right now. And the kids, what they're growing up with now, I mean... It's a totally different world. I mean, your world, Jimmy's world, when it was... Mm -hmm. When I was walking around with a Sony Discman, listening to Color Me Bad in like Cypress (laughs) Hill. orange. Yeah, my Discman. I had some good stuff in it. We're talking like a 91 Discman. I had a lot of Ice Cube, and I had, of course, a lot of Guns N' Roses. But the point is, that technology kept us alone with our music. The current technology, and this is, I think, the biggest challenge facing the country, is you hear people say, like, oh, we live in two different worlds. But the truth is, because of the iPhone, we live in like 330 million different worlds. (laughs) Because everybody is the center of their own universe now, where they have this device that brings them just the news content they prefer. You know, and anything they want is a button away on the phone. I want pants, hit a button. Somebody just shipped you pants. You want food, hit hey, a button. Hey, by the way, was that, I think, was that Sears or was that JCPenney? One of the best the ad catalog? campaigns. Oh, God. Uh, the, the ad campaign, mm-hmm. ship my pants. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I did ship my pants. You did. I did. And, uh, the truth is you can now take your phone and completely recalibrate the universe to make you the most important thing in the world. Right. And it's like... That's why we're as fragmented as we are is because we don't have a we society. We have a me society now. Yeah. So I'm trying to get immediate gratification. Oh, it's so bad. But that's why we're miserable. It's like life has never been more convenient or easier. But by any uh, objectionable metric, life has never been easier than it is now. And we're miserable. So do you with your son when you're out and about? You're a great father. I'm I'm saying this. No, I'm saying No, no, don't listen to the courts. No, I'm with you on this. Don't listen to the courts. (laughs) The courts, those jury will believe anything in this. I'm kidding. do Do you take away the phone? No. Um, Lincoln was raised on the phone. This is a, this is something you don't hear a lot about. Okay. I do talk to Lincoln a lot about the fool's gold of social media. And how it shapes preferences, but it doesn't necessarily shape your ability to curate and create good content. Meaning, the like button is very influential because if you go, wow, this has 20 million likes. I'd like 20 million likes. I'm going to follow the guy with 20 million likes. I'm like, he's lighting his farts on fire. Like, that's, it's not going to get you the promotion at work you think it's going to. And if it is, you're probably at the wrong company. Okay? So I'm always explaining to Lincoln how the algorithm is going to amplify certain things at certain times. And you shouldn't judge your self-worth based on how your content's landing. Right. You should judge it based on you have a sense for what's funny and good. And if you stay true to that, you'll eventually see the moment where you might be on the right side of that algorithm because the right people saw it and went, wow, this is good. I like it. So I'm very on top of him in terms of his consumption. I'm not looking at his phone. I don't know what he's doing. But we are now at a precipice where every kid in society has a life that runs predominantly through their phone because where the phone really hijacked this generation is because parents use it as cheap babysitting. Yeah. You know, when you have a newborn in the house and you just want to occupy it for 30 minutes, you hand it a device and it's just scrolling away. Like, like Lincoln was two. He could complete a banking transaction on an iPad <laughs> because he had spent that much time Every around the phone. Every once while you see those stories. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, you know, a hundred Amazon packages yeah, show up. a jet ski. <laughs> yeah. And like that can happen. So I think the challenge for parents is is that you have to raise, it's not that you have to keep your kid off the phone, you just have to raise your kid outside of the phone, meaning your kid needs to have values that work in person. Yeah. Okay, it's a joke I do in my bed about how the phone has shaped 
uh, reshaped our, our the way we behave and denied us self-awareness. Like dinner pictures, I talk about how, you know, 20 years ago, if you were to take a picture of your dinner, <laughs> go and get it developed, and then drive to a random group of 50 strangers and be like, lasagna! They would, like, put you in a home. They wouldn't know how to react to you. Right. But on the phone, it makes sense. Right. But it doesn't make sense in real life. So I tell him if you can live in physical terms, you can pursue whatever you want in the digital world. My concern for this generation is because most people live exclusively through the values of the digital world, we're kind of losing our sense of what's important. Because everything you consume now is just a thing you consume before the next thing you consume. Right. So they're like, oh, there's a dog on a skateboard. Oh, there's an ISIS beheading. Oh, look at that hockey highlight. Yeah. But it's like, <laughs> these things should mean different things to you. That's my concern. And they don't. It's all the same now. Like, oh, a lot of people like that. Oh, no, not good. But yeah, what, would you, what would you do if you were a teacher? First of all, do you think you'd be a good teacher? Decent, because I am a solid communicator. Um, but I will say this. What subject would you teach? I loved history. And I think history now is more important than it was 20 years ago because we kind of knew history 20 right. years ago. Now there's this effort being made to reconfigure it. Right, right. There's this effort, you know, and that's the part I think is so crazy is I probably, like you, had the luxury of being raised when it was cool to like the country. Yeah, yeah. And I think you could help a lot if you, as a modern-day history teacher, if you taught it through the prism of we are exceptional and nobody has done more to overcome the things they're trying to hold yeah. us hostage with than us. Yes. And I think if you taught that version of history in the modern era, it would be helpful. Okay, so, but what would you do? You got a bunch of 13-year-olds showing up to your class. They all got a phone, and the moment they're sitting down, they're probably walking in looking at it. Yeah. They plopped. Would you have phones, not have phones? What I would think, you do? I think your phones get put in a cubby or something in the beginning of class, and I think parents would embrace that. I'd say, listen. I do too. It's hard to enforce, though, right? I know, well, the way you got to do it is, you know, the class begins with everybody putting their phone on the desk. Just walk in, put your phone here, put it in the bucket, or do whatever the heck it is you do, and that's how it works. Because... I can't fathom being a student and having any attention span in this era. Like you've all been in the place as a, as a school kid where you stared out the window or daydreamed. Right. Now imagine there's a device that will bring you any movie, any joke, any song, any person, any anything is in the palm of your hand. Yeah, you're not really doing the daydreaming. You're yeah. not actually the phone dreaming for you. That's right. It's I, telling you what to dream. I know. And that's the part I think is such a detriment to our development. So I would get kids out of the phone. If I, I mean, honestly, Chaffetz, if I was like president of for real, if I could be in charge for a day, I would declare like 72 hour social media moratoriums. I know you don't have the power to do that, <laughs> but I would ask for that. Because what people would come to realize is 99% of what we're doing on social media isn't necessary, oh, but it is harmful. Time. Yeah, it's, it's nothing. It's like, so if we all took 72 hours off of social media and you came back on Monday and you're like, oh, by the way, here's what I ate. Here's where I was. Here's who was there. You'd realize that's all you would have been doing if we were on social media. <laughs> that's right. At which point you didn't need to be doing it. Yeah. So I think we could help a lot by distancing ourselves from the phone, which is another thing we'll aggressively do on Fox News Saturday night, which is on Twitter F FN Saturday night. Yeah, as <laughs> you'd imagine. We're talking to Jimmy Failure, and not only at Fox Across America, right? Noon to 3 p.m. Eastern mm -hmm. on the radio, three hours. Now you got this show on Saturday night. But you mentioned being president for the day. You know, Donald Trump said he'd be dictator for a day. Joking, of course. Yeah, yeah. And the whole media take him really seriously. Mm -hmm. Talking about what he would do on the board. What would you do as president? You have one day to be president. Right now? Yeah. What would you do? Oh, that'd be good. So 
<laughs> no, for real. Because getting getting past other than the moratorium on a seventy-two hour ban on social, phones, yeah, social, social media. media. That's pretty funny. Well, I would say this, you know, getting past policy, which there are obvious things I think a lot of us would do, which is like secure the border, yeah. you know. Uh, Crazy. Yeah, imagine that. Um, I think what I would like to do is just give one State of the Union primetime address oh. about how I, me, the guy who started in a taxi and has made it to Times Square billboards, have a very unique perspective that a lot of people don't get a chance to possess. I mean that. Yeah. Having been the guy yeah. that sat in the taxi under that billboard and is now looking down at the taxis that drive by it, you do see the world through a lens that like it blew my mind the minute I woke up and found myself in this new life of like you understand what matters. And I think I can explain to people uh, pretty well what matters and what the country should prioritize. And I think it would be done on a level, okay, that would actually help society. So that's the, you know, feel good, upstanding version of what I would do as president, okay? What I would also do is Catherine Bach from the Dukes of Hazard. I would do her as pre- Daisy Duke, who dominated my childhood. <laughs> okay. Still owns a piece of your Jimmy Spanish brain. I would do the speech. I would do Catherine Bach. And then I'd bring in that chef to cook me like the steak of the century and, and something else, you know? <laughs> Catherine Bach in the Lincoln bedroom, world peace, and a steak. And we can call it a day, Chaffetz. Not That's necessarily what I would do. in that order. And then you know what I would do? I would resign because I'd have to and that would be fun that'd be the best <laughs> resignation you'd ever than, seen yeah 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 thank you uh that that would be it now when you were a kid growing up mm-hmm. um who were your like superstars that were on your radar comics um well yeah, listen just, I, uh, no just i had a fifth grade teacher to comics yeah like, television radio mm-hmm. whoever i had a fifth grade teacher who told me to watch the tonight show she was like you should watch johnny carson i think you could do that someday and she really? might have yeah mrs pascana and she might have just been pointing me in a direction but as a kid you believe stuff like that sure yeah. so I was like, oh dude i'm gonna have my own show and that's all i did every day for the rest of my life so i believed her like when i was wow. driving a cab 84 hours a week I would be driving around and I'd like, this is going to be so nuts when I have my own show. <laughs> As the passengers get out, they're like, this man's not well. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Honey, let's get the kids. Let's get another cab. But I'd be like, no, no, you guys don't understand. I'm going to have my own show someday. My teacher told me and I believed it. But uh, so I loved Carson. Um, I loved, oddly enough, I loved Burt Reynolds because he was a good Carson guest. And, you know, he was happening in like Cannonball oh, Run and stuff was, like that in yeah, the 80s. Yeah, big star. driving that big yep, fire. Lonnie and, and Burt and everything like that. But I loved Burt Reynolds because I just thought he was cool. I liked cool people. Yeah. So you talk in 80s, okay? I WKRP, loved, were you uh-huh, watching uh, that? Cincinnati. I, I knew it was out there. I didn't watch a lot of it. But I loved Lawrence Taylor on the Giants because he was, you know, coked up playing football, you know, the <laughs> best defense in the league, but sometimes the 35-yard line was missing because Lawrence had a bunch of powder on his nose. I'm like, come on, LT. That's not cocaine. Uh, so I loved him. I loved Don Mattingly on the Yankees. But I liked, honestly, it was pretty funny. I liked a lot of, I paid attention to public figures. And I've, as a New Yorker, as a kid, you don't ima- imagine, I've known Trump as a media figure since he was a boxing promoter in Atlantic City. In 87, when Mike Tyson fought Michael Spinks, they fought at the Boardwalk Convention Center in Atlantic City. That was a Trump promotion. Mm. So I knew Trump was in the center of the ring. He got introduced, as did Don King. Right. I got a kick out of Don King and his hair. Only in America. There's a lot. This younger generation doesn't know who he is. Yes. But man, that guy was a promoter. And I was, because Levittown, where I grew up, uh, you know, it's probably the biggest post-World War II settlement for GIs returning home from the really? war. So I grew up around a lot of 
old men, you should never make a sudden move around. You know what I mean? Like freak <laughs> no out loud noises. But we really liked America in Levittown. So as a kid who came of age in the 80s, like Reagan was a big deal. Like some big deal to me was Ronald Reagan. Was he your first kind of political? He was my first president. So much so that when Reagan beat Mondale in like the worst landslide in electoral college history, I remember puking that morning. We were off from school, but I was so nervous because I didn't know how elections worked and I wasn't reading polls and I didn't understand that no one would, you know, basically they were they were running reruns of like Heidi on election night because it was over. They called it at like two in the afternoon. (laughs) But as a kid, I got out of bed sick that we might lose Reagan. I was sick. Because I believed, like, you know, Mondale and Geraldine Ferraro was, I had just seen, like, Red Dawn. And I was like, well, yeah, I was like, well, if, yeah, she gets in, you know, the Russians land at my elementary school in like an hour and we're all dead. So let's go Reagan. And that's what I kind of grew up around. So I've always been kind of steeped in electoral politics uh, to a great degree, pop culture, because I was just fascinated by stars and how stars can transform the energy in a room. And uh, for that reason, I kind of always wanted to do this sociopathically so as a cab driver, but made the incremental progress to get where we are. And I'm just trying to use it for good now. What, what about music? Were you into music at all? Big time. Were you like a Devo guy? Or no, it's you? funny. So I grew up, <laughs> it's funny. I was watching uh, an ungodly amount of MTV because it came about at the age when you just finally did had free time. Kennedy? Uh, it's funny. The first time I did Kennedy show, the first three times I did Kennedy show, I came and left this building with no idea that she was the girl from MTV. You did? And we were like best friends. And I had no idea that she was the MTV girl. I yeah. just thought she was some weird old libertarian chick that we all, we found each other funny. And she knows that. We talk about that when we tour sometimes. And uh, I was watching a lot of MTV, but my dad is a big, to this day, a big music guy. So I grew up around a lot of Elvis, a lot of big box stuff, the Beatles. But then he was also into like Brit pop. He loved like the Moody Blues, like Electric Light Orchestra, stuff like that. Herman's Hermits, you know, and things I enjoyed. But I grew up in a big music uh, house. High school, MTV was new and fresh. And boy, we come on and watch Duran Duran videos. Um, So my cousin Cindy was like one of the most formative influences on me was a Duran Duran fan. So in the 80s, they all were a lot of Duran Duran, a lot of ZZ Top. If they had big videos, we were watching it. Yeah. ZZ Top, Sharp Dress Man, Down Under, Men Down Under. Men at Work. Men at Work, Which they're now touring, but they're they're called Them at Work. You're not allowed to assume their pronouns. (laughs) Uh, But I watched all of that stuff and I loved it. So it's really funny because basically what happens is your parents, or if you have older siblings, define your pop culture sensibilities. But it really gets fun when you're old enough to acquire your own music because that's when you start to really go in your own direction. You have that core curriculum that your dad or your older brothers instilled in you. But for me, like real music consumption didn't become the true passion I now know it as till I got to the age where I could order the 10 CDs for a penny. Oh, like yeah. Columbia House, Red or something well, like that. I'm older than you, and I, I got, you know, yeah. 10 cassette tapes. Yeah, of course. First. So did I. I probably had cassettes before I had CDs. Foreigner, and I, Rush. Oh, yeah. He wants to know what love is. Does he have, yeah, yeah. And what's Sticks. funny is, yeah, well, since you mentioned that, uh, you know, you mentioned like Foreigner. Uh, when that 11 CD comes in the mail, that price is as cold as ice because it is not a penny. Okay, you do get 10 CDs for a penny, but the 11th was like $138. You're like, what just happened? Hey, but the, I love the cars. Uh, oh, there was nothing like more invigorating emotionally than getting that box and knowing you now owned 10 
albums of groups you and loved. And I was only in it a penny. And it, But it mattered because you waited weeks to get it, whereas now you hear a song, you shazam it, you own the entire artist's catalog instantaneously. You can't possibly today, appreciate it. But today's music, I'm finding it's pretty hard to appreciate it. I know. Well, it's, yeah, it's not good, but there's this other element of you acquire it too easily to appreciate it. Instant gratification in a lot of ways isn't our friend. Because you used to, again, think about this. When you were buying stuff, not just getting it in the mail for a penny, you had to go to a store and then remove it from a security apparatus, which involved, like, tape on two sides, (laughs) maybe a plastic anti-theft device. Like, you had to fight to hear that living color cult of personality rock song that you liked because you it was there. It was secure. We think about this. In the 80s, we had more security on our compact discs than we do on our southern border right now. And to, so my, true. to my point of we're fighting all the wrong battles in America, thank you. I just find today's music, it's just not very satisfying. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I go back to my roots, and maybe every generation does that. Of course you know? they do. We're not, that's not unique to us. The bands that we think were iconic were hated by people who are our age. But do you really think 20 years from now they're going to be going back and saying, oh, Harry Styles, that was so great? I, I don't know that they are. I'm good, but But people that are 19 are. Because they think it's that's kind of scary. Hiles, it? Harry Styles to them is like Phil Collins to you and me. You know what I mean? He's you know there's hits you recognize it and, there, and there's always like this safety and nostalgia that makes it pop that makes it age well. Right. If it's nostalgia for a group of people, it endures. Right. So I think I, I won't be listening to it. I don't know that you will, but I do think somebody will. Yeah, interesting. Well, listen, congratulations on you got shows. Think about it. you got shows, man. I know I'm like a mogul now. I just hate saying it, you know, because I owe a lot of people. What money. are you going to do on Sundays when you got you got your Saturday night show? You got radio all week, and uh, it's not like you're not on other shows, right? It's not. Good. I see you on prime time and all no, those no. other shows. I've kind of quietly taken over. Um, it's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, quietly, I don't know that you've done anything quietly. Uh, You're probably right about that. But you know what I do on Sundays? I rest up. So what I found is, really quickly, I am very, like, my. you know, like, you talk to me, and the whole conceit is that, like, I'm a hot mess. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm all over the map. I might, you know, I might pass out drunk on the air at any moment. But there is a lot of self-care that goes into this. And my Sunday, this is what I found in, like, the last year, my Sundays used to be a cry for help. Like, I was cheating death in my yard between booze, cigars, and food. I now, like, yesterday's a good example. I watched two NFL playoff games. I never had a drink of alcohol. And that's so dispiriting to people who watch me and root for me because they just assume. Very yeah. clever. Well, they, I know, right? But they assume I'm, like, eating Tide Pods on a Sunday and, you know, mainlining heroin or something. But it's actually the opposite. My Sundays are pretty boring, but I like them that way. I cook. I watch stuff. I lay low. Uh, but if you want to talk about it, I have a Saturday night TV show. And as you'd imagine, when that show goes off the air on Saturday night, <laughs> I, it is a 12-hour exercise in cheating death. Yes. So. Well, Saturday nights, 10 p.m., tape it, watch it, do whatever you're going to do. But um, this is going to be must-see TV. Congratulations. It's a, it's a thing. And thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, it means a lot to me. And uh, the behind the music on this show is going to be fabulous when I bottom out. And, you know, 12 years from now, they're catching up with me at a dog track. (laughs) (laughs) I got the beard of a guy in a proof of life video. (laughs) I now now live in a Camaro in the parking lot of the dog, the Palm Beach Kennel Club in Florida. That's going to be a great behind the music. (laughs) I had a TV show once. (laughs) That's where it's headed. Uh, It's really fun. Congratulations to you. Thanks for joining me on the Jason in the House podcast. The best.
Uh, I wish all the best to Jimmy. He's such a good guy. And you know what? He really is a good dad. And he's inspirational, I think, to a lot of people. And to go from the cab to the Times Square, you know, billboards and the show and a national show and a big network like Fox, uh, that uh, Fox News, it's it's exciting. I'm excited for him. He's just a, it's good to see good guys win and uh, really excited about that. Hoping you can uh, rate this podcast, subscribe to it. I want to remind people you can listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Also encourage you to go over to uh, foxnewspodcast.com foxnewspodcasts.com. A lot of my colleagues have some really good shows out there. You know, Will Kane's got a daily show that's out there now. I think it starts at noon Eastern. I think it is that time. Um, uh, but wherever you listen to podcasts, you can get, go look at the whole array of them. Trey Gowdy's got good stuff. Dana Perino. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Have a look at that. But again, rate it, review it, subscribe to our podcast, and uh, come back next week because we're going to have another exciting, cool, fun guest. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this has been Jason in the House. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.